It's time for episode 144 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, July the 6th, 2016. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, where all fireworks are now 50% off. I'm Jason Snell, and across the internet from me, my co-host, Mr. Dan Moore. And hi, Dan. It's episode 12 squared today. Oh, it's a perfect square. That's a that's a great place to be. I feel very comforted by the mathematics of it. It's where my childhood multiplication tables ended, at 12 times 12. Yeah, which is too bad, because I believe the next one would be 169, so we got some time. Anyway, this is Clockwise. We take uh, 30 minutes to discuss four technology topics with two wonderful guests. We have two wonderful guests with us, of course on episode 144 to my left from so many places so many podcasts including uh the total party kill podcast where we play dungeons and dragons and of course i'm more it is georgia dow hello hello thank you for having me back and to my left another returning guest david sparks co-host of mac power users and the inimitable max sparky hi david hey dan Thanks for having me on the show. All right. Four topics, 30 minutes. We might as well get started or we're going to run out of time. So here's my topic. Uh, timely as the day's headlines. Email policies are in the news again, thanks to various things happening in Washington, D.C. and statements by the FBI and presidential politics and all of those things. I wanted to ask all of you, what's your personal email policy as a human being? Uh, do you keep... Separate accounts for work and home? Do you have multiple email accounts or do they all pour into the same place? Uh, do you, you know, do you run your own email server? Do you have a special email provider that you use? Uh, or do you just like not even do email? I, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. What's your personal email policy? Well, I'm anti-email. All right. But Can I vote for you for president? Oh, you're Canadian. You can't. Oh, oh, oh well. All right. Awkward. Um, I don't think that email is secure. It just isn't. So I do use email. I use Gmail. And I do have separate emails for – since I'm a psychotherapist, I have separate emails for work and for technology. That being said, I'm not really concerned with which one I use. I usually give out my iMore email because it's shorter and easier to pronounce, and most people get that one right. And yes, sometimes I will respond to emails from my psychotherapy work through my iMore account and vice versa. So usually I like to keep them separate because I get less spam on my home email, but they kind of all bleed in together and I don't know. I don't know how many people really care about, you know, where someone's getting their email or how they're getting it out to that. I think that it's one of these issues that we've kind of blown out of proportion, at least coming from me, a Canadian. <laughs> I've been trying to reduce the amount of email accounts I have because there was definitely a point where I would like, you know, I added them all. How many email to... accounts do you have? Uh, I'm down to, I think, two. Um, but I, I, I've tried to like redirect. So I have a lot more addresses that all just forward to like the same box, essentially. Like they're not even mailboxes. They're just email forwards I had set up because I had domains, etc. Um, when I worked at Macworld, obviously I had that email, which I tried to keep separate. I use, uh, I use iCloud for my email, which is sometimes a bad idea and sometimes mostly fine. Um, I don't use Gmail. Like I have an account because you can't get away with not having a Google account, but I don't use it for sending or receiving email. And yet sometimes people email me there and I don't see it for like weeks on end because I almost never check that account. 
Um, but I, I, at one point I like to look at my con, like I, I added all my emails to like my contact record in, in, in OS 10 and I, it was just ridiculous. It was like 12 emails. I'm like, why do I have this many email addresses? This is ridiculous. <laughs> so I've been trying to slim down and just sort of like point everything to the same box, uh, so that I just have one major clearinghouse for all my email. But, uh, and, and, and as that goes, then I just sort of generally like start unsubscribing from stuff when I realize like every few weeks I'm like, oh Yeah. I get a lot of stupid email every day, and so I, I try to unsubscribe from as much stuff as possible. You're on an email diet. Mm. I'm trying. I'm trying. But, you know, it, it's so delicious, Georgia. You just can't You can't <laughs> give it up for too long. True. It's true. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever heard of email described as delicious before. <laughs> spam, David. Spam. <laughs> <laughs> I've got three this. email accounts. I've got the uh, the personal one which is iCloud. And then um, I've got one for Max Sparky, which is a Hover IMAP account. And my legal practice is a Hover IMAP account as well. Uh, you know, I, I'm not totally creeped out by Google, but I just never felt like putting my legal account in Google made sense. And um, so I just don't do that. And I've been really happy using IMAP as my underlying email technology. It allows me to try out all sorts of different email clients without having, you know, a huge problem. I, I think when you tie into something like Google, a lot of times you really there's there's limitations on what apps you can use. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm generally happy with my email situation. I, I, I hooked up with Sanebox two or three years ago, which is, uh, I guess full disclosure sponsor at Mac power users, but total game changer for me because they help organize email. And I, I feel like generally I have it under control, but, uh, like everybody else, I wish I had less of it. Yeah, and for me, it's uh, I used to have the MacWorld account and the and the, the personal account, but now although I have multiple email addresses, they do go to one Gmail account. That's what I've been using for a while now, and uh, and it works for me. I try to not have a, a lot of email as well. There's less of it than there used to be. I, I try to filter things out and and uh, aggressively delete things and unsubscribe from as many things as I can. But it still comes in. I'm I'm touched when people ask, "Oh, I did. I wasn't sure which email I should use for you." Because in the end, sort of like what Dan said, it, it all goes to the same place. It doesn't matter. So, uh, well, thank you. That is very interesting. Everybody uses email differently and uh, and uh, tries to use it only when absolutely necessary, it sounds like, which seems reasonable to me. Georgia, what topic do you have for us? Well, my topic is on, you know, each emerging technology that comes out, people start to worry about how is this going to integrate into our lives and what the effect will be. So they said that radio would steal your soul and TV would rot your mind. (laughs) Well, with the nature of virtual reality, it's become possible to experience the world without ever having to leave the comfort of your own living room. So I wanted to discuss what do you think will be the benefits and dangers of this new media? Well, as someone with no soul and a rotted mind, Mm. I feel like everything (laughs) is fine. Um, I think the key is, you know, the fact that everybody says, you know, this is going to happen every single time and yet it doesn't really seem to happen. I think the short answer is people who are, you know, probably going to find themselves, uh, you know, either with like some sort of compulsion or addiction, like really wrapped into these things are probably the same people that, that always have to deal with those kinds of challenges, um, so I don't think that's necessarily inherent to the media itself. I think it's just a matter much more of of people and how they deal with those kinds of stimuli. That said, I got my first chance to actually use a real VR setup this past weekend. Uh, a friend of mine works at a startup that does VR related stuff, including it's like a, a you wear a VR headset while you're on an exercise bike. Um, and there's, they have like little games that you can do while pedaling this. So like you work out, but also do VR at the same time. 
I thought it was pretty darn cool. Uh, I wish I hadn't eaten a large brunch beforehand because it did make me feel a little bit ill. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's just, I think, the nature of uh, of of these things. But I, I think it's super cool. I think the possibilities for it, uh, as always with technology, the ability to do things that you can't do in the real world, whether it just be like stay in touch with people or interact with people over long distances to model and experience things that are not possible to do in the, in the real world. I think there's a ton of potential here. Um, and, and there are always dangers when it comes to just, you know, sitting sitting in your VR helmet in your living room for hours upon hours when forgetting to eat and, and do other hygienical things. Um, but those are those are things we all have to struggle with from time to time. So I don't think it's anything it's any worse than anything we've dealt with before. I haven't tried a VR set in this most recent crop, but everybody that has tells me that it's really this may be the time that it sticks, that they've gotten a lot better. And uh, I don't really know what to think about that. I've I've always liked video games. I uh, I once had a Star Wars like online role playing game where it became. I realized after about three weeks that it was taking over my life. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was driving home from work because I had to move my minds because you, know, you know the crops had changed. And I was thinking I need to get home and move my minds. And then I realized actually I need to get home and cancel my Star Wars account <laughs> because I'm not going to do anything. About it. So so my my big fear is if this virtual reality is for real and I can actually uh, be a believable Jedi in the star Wars universe, my life will end and I'll lose my house and all that other stuff. But, um, other than that, I'm, I'm all for it. I can't wait to, to try this stuff out. Uh, but, but like Dan said, I think it really is just a question of, of management, but, but it sounds like this is going to be very stimulating and very tempting for people. If it's as good as what we're all hearing. I think it's going to be a fun uh, game experience and maybe some other sort of experiences that you can have. But at the same time, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be limited. Uh, And so I think like with anything, you're going to uh, run into the limitations of it. And it's not going to be some people. Sure. Some people are going to get uh, completely caught in it like they might get caught in TV or video games or whatever. And and that that always happens with new technology, I think. But at the same time, it's not tapping into your brain uh, directly. And so like... Like, unless you build, like, they have those things that you can stand on that when you run around, it's like a treadmill that goes in all the directions and stuff like that. I mean, in most cases, you're going to be standing there. You know you're standing somewhere and not actually moving. Uh, you're not going to have uh, all of your senses. It's Gravity can't reverse. You're going to still have the gravity the way it is now. It's not going to be a perfect simulation of reality. I think when we get to that point where we can just plug something into our heads and have a perfect simulation of reality, yeah, then it's the Matrix and we're all done for. But until then, I think it'll just be like any new tech. It'll be it'll have great benefits and uh, terrible things about it too. And we'll have horror stories. And somebody will come out and say that this is the latest thing to ruin the next generation, uh, just like rock music and I don't know uh, short pants. So uh, it, it's fine. The, the short pants part is true. Um, <laughs> I I love VR. I'm a huge VR head. Um, I think that it's absolutely phenomenal and amazing and a lot of fun to use. I think that being said, I think that it is, as everyone has, has pretty much mentioned, it's going to be the manner in which we use it. I think that there's great benefits in treating fears, phobias for people that are elderly to be able to go to places they wouldn't be able to travel to, to be able to see museums, to be able to deep sea dive and really get the full experience of that. I think it's exceptionally effective for those reasons. 
Though, that being said, I think that it does enhance the traumatic experience of negative experiences as well because it is quite realistic. Our visual cortex is a huge amount of our brain and we rely on that. And so when I'm playing a scary game, I really feel the effects. I am relatively traumatized by the end, usually screaming, sometimes in the fetal position. (laughs) So, (laughs) which is completely true. So you do need to be careful, I think, with who's using it, with the age. We have to be a little bit more careful because of its intensity. But then again, it will be just as beneficial as it will be damaging to that. So it's not really the tech. It's how you use it. All right. Great topics. we got two more to go. But first, I want to tell you about our halftime sponsor, this episode of Clockwise, brought to you by... Linode. Linode is a combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers. They are on eight different data centers around the world. Pick where you want to be. Mine's in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Makes Linode a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. You can get a server up and running in under a minute. And plans start at just $10 a month. Now you can get two gigabytes of RAM on that $10 a month server. That's amazing. And you can choose your resources, your Linux Linux distro, and your node location, all from their easy-to-use web-based manager tool. Uh, You can deploy, boot, and resize your virtual server with just a few clicks. It's true. uh, And there's great support. If you're not used to uh, running your own server, if you have questions, you're like, well, my server isn't in front of me. I can't send someone to it. What do I do? Good news. Linode's more than 400,000 customers are all taken care of by a friendly 24-7 support team. They're open over holidays. If you have anything you need help with, they are there for you. Um, They're also committed to improving the infrastructure. There was recently a switch uh, from Zen to KVM, and their latest Unix benchmark showed a 300% performance increase. Linode is the full package for your server infrastructure needs. They have the power you require, as well as the infrastructure and assistance that you want. So, as a listener to Clockwise, you can sign up at linode.com slash clockwise. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash clockwise. You'll support us and get $20 off any Linode plan, a $20 credit. So, seven-day money-back guarantee, nothing to lose to give Linode a try. Linode.com slash clockwise to learn more and sign up and take advantage of that $20 credit or use the promo code clockwise20 at checkout. Thank you to Linode for supporting Clockwise. All right, halftime is over. Dan, what topic do you have for us? I just switched over to Apple's newer and supposedly better two-factor authentication setup. I was curious if you use Apple's method, uh, if you use two-factor authentication elsewhere, unrelated, your birth date, and the name of your first pet. What are those? Um, Do you take other security precautions? David, what about you? Yeah, I'm pretty anal about this stuff, and I love two-factor authentication. I think it's a great way to help increase security, and it's not super inconvenient. You know, you've always got that balance of convenience versus security. Uh, so I use it pretty much everywhere I can. I use it with Twitter and Evernote and Dropbox and, of course, Apple. I didn't, Dan, until you put this note up in the show notes, I didn't realize that Apple has a new two-factor authentication. <laughs> yeah, they kind of did it very quietly. <laughs> Because yeah, I, I had signed up for something else that was kind of two-factor authentication with Apple. They had a two-step verification, which yes. is just, yeah, because it's super easy to distinguish those two things now. Yeah, so that's what I had up until whenever you put this on the uh, on the Google Doc. So now I am a Apple two-factor authentication certified whatever, and um, <laughs> I'm glad that, that they brought it. I'm not exactly sure what the difference is between the two. Either one, I got a text message, and, and maybe my devices will stop working later today, and I can blame Dan, but that's okay. <laughs> 
But no, I, I do think that uh, two-factor authentication, if you haven't turned on, is something you should take the time to do. Another thing I do, like when they ask you for those security questions, you know, often it's very easy to reverse engineer that stuff. You know, where were you born? Well, you know, with a little bit of Google juice, you can probably figure out where somebody was born. So what I do is I have um, one password generate a random string and, and answer all those questions with gobbledygook. And then I just take a screenshot of it and save it to, to my one password because it can save an image as part of a login. And then I've got that stuff, you know, basically written down and it's it's uh, very difficult for someone to hack that. So I've got a couple different things I do, but but all this is good, I think. Yeah, I have uh, two-factor turned on just about anywhere in, in some form or other, whatever is offered. Uh, Apple, I just last week switched over to the two uh, the two factor from the two step. Uh, it's interesting. The one thing that gives me pause is one of the things that people are finding is that there are uh, people are able to clone SIM cards and uh, they can they can basically hijack your phone number. And so if if the ultimate recourse is a text message that you receive uh, on a phone number, that's problematic. And that's still an option that Apple's two factor authentication offers you and. Uh, as a as a backup and it's nice to have backups but it also gives me a little pause that it's a, a security hole but still having extra steps that you have to go through so just have having my difficult to guess password already even if you got that it would be harder to get into my account than just that i think that's good i'm 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 quite happy that that uh that the extra steps there and i and this it, it's not too burdensome for me so i'm happy to turn it on anywhere so I have not yet turned mine on, and I always thought, to me, oh, you know what, I'm going to do it. I got busy, and then I didn't do it. And then when I read that, I went, oh, you know what? Now I feel bad. I have to make sure that I do this because, <laughs> you know, I'm in the tech field. We always talk about security, how it's really important. You don't really care about it until something happens. And it's just better to be safe than sorry. This is not a painful two-step authenticate. It's really pretty simple. And so after the podcast, when I go home tonight – I will be turning it on, getting it all set up. But I like to use two-factor authentication whenever I can, but sometimes life gets in the way. Isn't that always the way with life? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, David makes a good point about there always being a trade-off between security and convenience. I do think two-factor is a, a pretty minor as it goes. And even though it does still have some potential security holes, it, it definitely ups how difficult it is to actually compromise your accounts. Um, I like David's idea of doing the, the gobbledygook questions. I have a similar approach, which is just uh, I actually make things up. So, like, for example, good luck finding out what the name of my firstborn child is. <laughs> like, <laughs> not, not having one, that's going to be tricky for you. Um, but, like, things that are easy to remember then, so I don't have to necessarily go back to, you know, uh, referring someplace else. Um, but, yeah, so two-factor authentication is a, is a good thing. It should be turned on any account that you're seriously concerned about. It really uh, does sort of help at least protect you from casual uh, compromising of your accounts. So thanks for all your uh, input on that. And our last topic is from David. You know, I've been fascinated with this question of privacy versus convenience, not only with security, but also with cloud services. And we're all watching kind of the Google versus Apple approaches where Google's saying, you know, give us access to everything and we're going to return something awesome to you. Apple explained at WWDC they're not going to do that because they don't want to have access to your your data. But instead, they're going to try and make the the phones and the devices themselves smart enough to do a lot of that awesome stuff right on device. And it seems to me that, 
and I've been trying out Apple Photos in the beta, which is is great, and it's got like some searches, but it's not as good as Google Photos searches. And it just seems to me like inherently you're going to get some reduced functionality using the Apple approach, which gives you a lot more privacy. And uh, you know, it's interesting to me because Apple's always been a company about you know what's the best service and. Now, privacy is another concern. I don't know if it's their guiding star at this point, but it feels like it on some days. Uh, So where do you stand on the spectrum? Are you willing to give up privacy in the name of better services or the opposite? Yeah, I I am. Uh, I think it's a competition. And quite frankly, when the choices are nothing but private or something, but a machine is looking at my photos. And theoretically, if there was a data breach or something like that, uh, somebody could look at some of the stuff that I've got in the Google Cloud. Uh, You know, I'm going to choose features over nothing. Um, Now that Apple is introducing some features that offer privacy and, you know, our features. I'm more interested in what Apple has to offer. I would probably choose if Apple's uh, image uh, recognition stuff can do maybe even not as good a job, but a good enough job uh, over what Google offers with Google Photos, then I would probably tilt toward uh, toward the Apple thing because it is uh, locked off and, and nobody has access to my data because it's encrypted on the server. Apple's not looking at it on its servers. Um, but that said, that doesn't give Apple a free pass. If Apple stuff isn't good enough, I will, I will vote for the good features because I don't feel like Google is making all of my photos public. I think that, I think that people overstate the difference between Apple's privacy concerns and Google's approach. Google, it's, it's a little bit like saying Google reads all your email in order to show you ads in Gmail. Well, there's an algorithm that looks at the text and displays an ad. They're not like people that Google pays to read your email. That's not how that actually works. So I, I'm going to be a little skeptical of, of, uh, of, of people who bash Google too much. At the same time, yeah, if Apple can offer privacy as a feature, but it can't be the only feature as far as I'm concerned. I need, I need some more right now. There is an arms race in terms of these uh, photo features. And uh, up until recently, Apple was not doing very well. I think with the iOS 10 stuff, Apple's, uh, Apple's doing better. And I'm much more interested in uh, where they're going because they can offer features and privacy together. I think that I lean more on the side of privacy. Um, I think that I and and because of that, I prefer Apple products just because of the creep factor. Um, though I still use Gmail, so and I think that Jason spoke really clearly of that. You know, what are our needs, and if our needs are going to be met, we're probably going to go that way. Unfortunately, we are really fickle beasts. We'll sacrifice our future for the minimal pleasures of the present. Um, we don't really think about the repercussions of our actions. For sometimes we're too short-sighted to see beyond our no- own nepotistic needs. I remember reading a really great quote the other day, which said that Orwell failed to predict that we'd be the ones buying the cameras ourselves. We'd install them in our private rooms, carry them wherever we go, that the biggest fear wouldn't be that someone was watching, but that we wouldn't be interesting enough to be watched. And I think that our own need for attention often does self-abdicate our own rights to privacy, and we don't really think that one day we may want that privacy back, and then we won't be able to get it back. I think that the it is a balance between privacy um, and features, and to a certain extent, this is only going to become more and more of an issue as computers become more and more capable of doing all this you know, heavy data lifting that just wasn't feasible for people to do. Uh, and with that always comes a risk that no matter how well people try to safeguard your privacy, that in some way that will get violated. And so I think it's, 
I think it's being you know very clear and careful with yourself about figuring out what are your own thresholds for what are you willing to put out there, what are you willing for like to be potentially exposed. Um, you know, and how you will react to that. I remember I used to teach class, the uh, orientation computer classes at my school, you know, back in, in college when the incoming freshmen, we'd sort of brief them on how to use all the, set up their accounts and use the computer system. And one of the things we used to tell them was don't, you know, basically don't post or send anything you wouldn't want to see on the front page of the New York Times because that had actually happened to some students of several years before I was there. Um, so, you know, a lot of that is being circumspect and, and just not sharing every detail of your life that you would be really upset about if, if everybody knew that. But our society has definitely made it more and more tempting to do things like that, uh, whether it be through technological or just social means. So personally, I, I have no problem with, you know, using a, a cloud photo library. I've, I've used both Google Photos and and iCloud photos, would that suck if all that, you know, data became private or public? Yeah, yeah, I'd probably be kind of pissed about that. But at the same time, I also feel like, fortunately, like, it wouldn't perhaps be the worst thing that ever happened to me. It would just be very, very annoying. So, but everybody's got different thresholds and different different decisions to make about that. Yeah, I am I think I'm with the group in general. I, I think privacy is something to try and protect. And it's interesting to me that even just a couple of years ago, what Apple's doing with iOS 10, the way it's doing all this analysis of the photos, facial recognition, uh, finding ducks and pictures and just like crazy stuff was inconceivable to me just a couple of years ago that they would be able to do that on the silicon and just right on the chip for the phone itself. That felt to me like something you needed a server farm to do. And now it's happening on my iPhone. And if you move that forward a couple of years, it's only going to get better, obviously. So that's encouraging to me. Uh, I don't think Apple can use this as an excuse, however. I mean, they've made this big privacy stand, and it's not an excuse for them not to push the ball forward and give us great services. I think, like Jason, I'm kind of with you on that. If they start using it as an excuse to not give us what we need, then I'm going to be looking at these other options. The um, In my mind, like if I get some arbitrary number like 80% of Google's functionality with 100% of Apple's privacy, I am entirely happy with that but you know the magic is in with that number is if apple's only 10 percent of the functionality with 100 percent of the privacy then i'm probably going to be looking seriously at some of these online services the interesting thing to me is if we had asked this question to instead of four panelists that have been around a few years four panelists that were in high school i'm pretty sure all of them would say i just want whatever gives me the most services and they they could care less about the privacy and uh and as that demographic takes over the world, maybe the stuff won't be as important to other people. I guess we'll have to see. Or maybe they'll uh, learn that privacy is important as they become I, I, adults. I think <laughs> as I mean, I think as mo when most of us were teenagers, yeah, we didn't necessarily have these all the technology that is available now. But I think we all probably made decisions that we later regretted, <laughs> right? So yeah, exactly. you know, I don't think there's anything new about that. It's just they have a much bigger <laughs> microphone. <laughs> All right, four great topics done. We have just enough time for a quick bonus topic. This week, Juno, the space probe, arrived at Jupiter. I was wondering, you are now in charge and get to send a space probe anywhere in the solar system. Where would you like to send it, Georgia? Ah, Juno visiting Jupiter. Such a cruel 400-year-old astronomy joke to play True. on her, isn't it? <laughs> As uh, the practice of uh, naming Jupiter's moons was after most of, uh, which is Jupiter would be Zeus, after his lovers, as most of them were captured by his gravitational field. 
So after cruelly sending Juno to see her husband with his mistresses, <laughs> I figured that it would probably be nice to put her on a holiday to recover from this ordeal. So I would send her to the Pillars of Creation, these giant elephant trunks of interstellar gas and dust in the Eagle Nebula. They're like 7,000 light years away from Earth. Uh, so named because these dusts are in the process of creating new stars. So not only would she get a great vacation, but it would also allow her to choose a more filial mate to spend the rest of eternity with. I, I feel like uh, uh, they've they've sent some some nice probes to Saturn, but I think investigating the rings of Saturn always seemed like a very uh, cool idea to me. And obviously, Saturn has a lot of interesting moons as well. So I'm I'm going to go with with Saturn, the the father of Jupiter. As the lawyer in the room, I will say that the question was solar system. It was. So I really want to. Uh, I, George, no, George, if I could George go cheated. The solar system. She totally I would cheated. Be saying Gallif- <laughs> I'd be saying Gallifrey, yeah. you know, if I could go outside It needs the solar to be re- system, but... not fictional and in the solar system, please. Oh, now you're really messing with me. Well, when I grew up, I read a lot of fiction about the moon of Io, and uh, it seemed like that was a, a place things were going to happen. So I'm thinking, I don't think we've ever sent a, a probe to Io. You know, is there water down there? Let's figure it out. Um, uh, so I, I think we should go to Io. Okay, and I'm going to choose another uh, uh, moon of Jupiter, I, uh, Europa. I, we can't go to Europa, Jason. We have to. Did you we, not see the movie? I did see the movie. <laughs> We're going to make landings on Europa and find out if there is life in the oceans beneath the, uh, the icy shell surface of Europa. And that is also in the solar system. So <laughs> take that, Georgia. All right. The Pillars of Creation is such a great answer that I was just going to let it go, even though it's totally cheating. Um, so it works. It works. All right. We've reached the end. Uh, half an hour, four topics, lots of bonus uh, bonus question stuff. Uh, Dan, nobody died this time, so that's good. This time. It's been like eight days since our last workplace accident. That's good. Yeah, I've, I've got the flip chart right here. Uh-huh. Was there a risk of that? I didn't know before I said yes. No, no. To uh, this, uh, this podcast oh. is totally oh. safe. Totally, totally safe. safe. Totally safe. Mm. Completely safe. Georgia Dow, thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you for having me. David Sparks, thank you for surviving. I mean, being here. My pleasure. Are you wearing a red shirt? Oh, God, I'm wearing a red shirt. <laughs> and, and whether this podcast is safe or not depends on if people survive the listening of it. But if you've gotten to this point, listener, you've made it. Until next week, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>